Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. We thank you for this Erev Rosh Hashanah, this... Uh, time to celebrate the reality of your word in action as we get to honor your formal uh, adim, your appointed times. Father, as we recognize the beauty of the fulfillment of the spring moedim, the prophetic purposes of these in Mashiach's first coming and the, uh, the eventual fulfillment of the fall feasts and their prophetic purposes with the return of Messiah. Father, we thank you that we live in the days that we live in and that we get to see the reality of prophetic uh, uh, things being fulfilled right before our eyes. And Father, I pray that as we continue to move forward towards the uh, soon return of Messiah, that our hearts will be drawn closer to you, that we will uh, develop a greater burden to answer the call of the Great Commission, to go and make Tamodim disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh. Father, I pray that you bolster up within us not only a yearning for your kingdom, but a yearning to wholeheartedly uh, turn in Teshuvah and turn our lives fully submitted over to you so that others may see your power and your might in our lives and be drawn into your presence. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. All right, so this evening, as we've already covered uh, through first. Part of our service is Erev Rosh Hashanah. This is the uh, beginning of uh, Yom Teruah, scripturally. Rosh Hashanah uh, is what it's known as traditionally. Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the, uh, the spiritual year, the beginning of the, um, the, the year number on the calendar when it changes from 5778 to now 5779. So in Judaism, we get to remember a new year right out the gate twice a year. You know, we get when it turns from 2018 to 2019, you know, it takes about eight weeks to finally write the right thing down. Uh, and in, in Judaism, we get to do that twice a year because now I've got to remember with everything that I'm saving and doing to put 5779 instead of 5778. So um, I, I think God enjoys the humor of watching us look like idiots sometimes. Um, but... <laughs> But uh, Rosh Hashanah is a really awesome time. It's, uh, it's known as a Yom Zikaron, a day of remembrance, but it's also a day of great rejoicing. Uh, contrary to Yom Kippur, which will be rolling around in, in 10 days, Yom Kippur is a solemn day. It's a day where we are focused entirely on repentance. Rosh Hashanah, on the other hand, is the beginning of a period of 10 days where we dig even deeper than we have for the last 30 days in the month of Elul in repentance as we are preparing for what the Lord's got in store. But Rosh Hashanah traditionally is viewed as the day in which the Lord uh, sits at the judgment throne and opens up two books. One is the book of life, and one is the book of death. And tradition in Judaism says, and by the way, this is just tradition. I'm not saying this is the way it happens, all right? Don't get all you know, high and mighty and throw things at me. Um, but, but Jewish tradition says that on Rosh Hashanah, the Lord opens up two books, and those who have lived lives of righteousness, those who have honored the word of God in, in all that they've strived to do, their names are put into the book of life. Those who were just absolutely outright evil, horrible, and uh, 
eh, worthless. Uh, their, their names get written in the book of death. But for the overwhelming majority of us, our names are somewhere in between. They're hovering in the Ethernet or something uh, until uh, Yom Kippur, in which the final sealing of these names occur in either the book of life or the book of death. Um, and trust me, you want to be on the right side of this thing. Uh, but, uh, and then at Yom Kippur, he officially transfers those names in the Ethernet that were made righteous over the period of the days of awe over to the book of life, and those that didn't over to the book of death, closes it, seals it, and that's it for the, day, for the year. You've got to wait till the next year. Thankfully, that's not how it actually works. It's interesting to think about, and it's really important for us to grasp things like that because there really is a book of life. There really is a book of life, and you do not want to find yourself when the fulfillment of these fall feasts rolls around as Messiah's return comes, you do not want to find yourself wondering which book you were written in. And the beauty of this is that we have an opportunity because of the sacrifice of Messiah Yeshua. And it's important that we focus on that. Although Yeshua died and offered his life as a sacrifice on uh, Pesach, on Passover, and not on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, it is important that we recognize the, uh, the, the worth, the value, the, the beauty of his sacrifice for our sins on Rosh Hashanah because Rosh Hashanah is the time in which all of the Jewish world is focused on repentance. It's focused on making our lives right with the Lord. It's focused on asking the Lord to reveal those deep, dark secrets that even we try to hide from ourselves that may damage the image and likeness of God that we were created to be so that we can turn our lives wholeheartedly over to him. Now, for me, Rosh Hashanah is a really exciting time because it culminates a period of time, as I've said, for the last several weeks, Judaism has been mind-bogglingly mind focused on repentance uh, and, and as believers, that's something we need to do every day no matter what. But we've been focused uh, 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 very strictly, very aptly, very attentively on repentance and on asking the Lord to forgive us and, uh, of anything we may have done as we move through the month of Elul. But Rosh Hashanah culminates a period of time that really began with Tish B'Av. And those in our congregation who have been here regularly uh, over the last several years hear me talk often about Tisha B'Av and the, the, the importance of the work that Yeshua did on Tisha B'Av, the importance of the redemption that occurred through his actions on Tisha B'Av uh, when he walked in human form here on earth at the beginning of his ministry. For those that are curious what in the world I'm talking about that haven't heard about this, uh, Matthew 3 and 4, Luke 3 and 4, the act of Yeshua being immersed by Yochanan Hamad Bill and then wandering into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan and then returning back to, uh, to the promised land and particularly to, uh, to, to, Nazareth, to Nazareth, his hometown and his home synagogue. Yeshua was immersed on Tisha B'Av and this is an important thing to grasp because Tisha B'Av is the day that both temples were destroyed, right? It's the day that a number of vicious atrocities occurred to the Jewish people, uh, not just once, not just twice, but over and over and over and over and over again, from the Spanish Inquisition to the expulsions from England, not once but twice, to aspects of uh, the pogroms and the Holocaust, to uh, the destruction of both temples, to the plowing of Jerusalem, and so on and so forth. These things all culminated uh, to Shabbat. 
and it's a very atro- uh, uh, painfully atrocious time. Beyond that, Tishba was also the same day that the 10 spies, there were 12 total, two came back with a good report, but 10 came back with an evil report. Tishbaab is the day in which they brought the evil report back from the other side of the Jordan River. They spent 40 days in the promised land, scoping it out, reconnoitering. This is only a couple of times a year I get to use that word. Uh, they were reconnoitering the land, they were spying it out, and they come back to the promised land, or to the, the, the other side of the Jordan, back to the wilderness, and they bring an evil report to the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel believes their report. In other words, they believed the report of lies versus the report of the word of the Lord, versus the promises of the Lord. And so they end up spending 40 years in the wilderness, one year for each day that the spies spent in the promised land uh, as they waited for the first generation of the nation of Israel to have left Egypt to die in the wilderness so that the second generation could inherit the promises of God. As we look at all of this, it's very important for us to understand that Yeshua's work on Tisha B'Av being immersed by Yochanan Hamabil was a powerful statement because Yeshua was immersed on the same day, on Tisha B'Av, and not just immersed on the same day, but immersed in the same waters that the spies crossed with an evil report. And then he crossed over those waters into the wilderness, the same place that they took the evil report. And then he spent 40 days in the wilderness, one day for every year that Israel spent in the wilderness, which was one year for every day the spies spent in the promised land. He spends the first act of his ministry. His first act of the ministry wasn't turning water to wine. It wasn't any of that other stuff. It was redemption. He began his ministry with redemption, and he ended his ministry with redemption. His first act of ministry was redeeming the mistakes of the spies and the nation of Israel and believing the father of lies rather than the truth of the promises of God. And so as we look at this, we recognize Tisha B'Av begins this period of repentance where we're going, oh, yeah, how do we get here? How do we end up in this place? We spend seven weeks reading the Haftarot of uh, Consolation, the seven messages of Isaiah, in which the Lord is telling us in the midst of this book where God's saying, hey, by the way, you're a bunch of idiots that can't follow my word and can't do what I call you, so I'm going to have to wake you up by making all the curses I told you were going to occur come upon you. I'm going to remove you from this land by the hands of somebody that is not of this land. I'm going to take you out of here for a time, but I will bring you back. I will restore you to this land. I will restore you in my promises. I will restore everything that I've told you will be yours for eternity. And we recognize that Yeshua on Tisha B'Av was immersed at the same exact time that the spies brought the evil report that caused the beginnings of all of this to occur. And so as we spend this time period looking at the seven message of Isaiah, which just ended this past Shabbat, uh, which in fact was yesterday, uh, this past Shabbat, uh, the, the Isaiah 61 is where we were in for Ahav Torah Parsha, and we look at this promise of restoration, this promise of redemption, this promise that the Lord is bringing a message of good news, that he is bringing uh, uh, salvation and, and ushering in a day of the Lord. And as we look at all of this, we recognize that Rosh Hashanah, is really the beginning of what that is all speaking about. See, it's interesting. I believe personally, and and there's great debate on this, I believe personally Yeshua was born during Sukkot, which is just a few weeks away. As a matter of fact, it's 15 days away, so right at two weeks and one day from now. Uh, I believe Yeshua was born on Sukkot, which actually means a couple of really interesting and nifty things. First and foremost, he was born on Sukkot, uh, which means he would have been consummated. Ask your parents what that means. He would have been consummated uh, during Hanukkah. Do the math. It's nine months from Hanukkah to Sukkot. Would have been consummated during, Sukkot, uh, during Hanukkah. So literally entering the world is the light of life, the light of man. John 1 talks about this, right? Literally entering the world in uh, uh, the beginnings of the development of this child uh, during Hanukkah, the light enters the world in a very literal sense. 
Nine months later, during Sukkot, the Feast of the Indwelling, the Feast of the Ingathering, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of whatever else you want to call it, Messiah comes, he's born, and the Word becomes flesh and tabernacles amongst his people. Right? And we're in that period right now. As we're leading up to Sukkot, we're in that period right now. So as we look at all of this, we recognize that this whole message of what Yeshua came to do was focused on redemption, on restoration. But redemption and restoration requires an act from us. God's already done his part. He's provided the redemption and the restoration. He's provided salvation. It's freely given for all to take. But we have to do something first. We have to repent. We have to make teshuvah. We have to recognize and admit our mistakes, our wrongs. And turn back to the Lord. Um, in Luke chapter 4, if you'll turn there real quick. Luke chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse uh, 14. This is when Yeshua has now returned back from the wilderness. So right around it would have actually been somewhere around uh, yesterday, give or take, uh, when uh, this past Shabbat, give or take, when he stood in his home synagogue again. But uh, imagine this playing out. Yeshua has now returned back from the wilderness temptation, uh, and he is returned back to his home synagogue in Nazareth, Nazareth. Verse 14 of John chapter 4 says, Yeshua returned in the power of the Ruach, the Spirit, to the Galilee, and news about him went out through all the surrounding regions. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone was praising him, and he came to Nazareth, to Nazareth, where he had been raised. Uh, as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on Shabbat, and he got up to read. When the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, the Ruach Adonai, the spirit of Adonai is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent, has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set, the free, set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of Adonai's favor. He closed the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue were focused on him. Then he began to tell them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled. And I actually want to turn back to uh, Matthew chapter 4. This is the correlating story in Matthew's narration of the gospel. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 20, uh, 12. And this is a continuation of what just happened in his home synagogue. Verse 9, now, when Yeshua heard that John had been handed over, he withdrew to the Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people sitting in darkness have seen a great light. And those sitting in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has, has dawned. From then on, Yeshua began to proclaim, Turn away from your sins, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Yeshua sits in his home synagogue right after returning from beating the temptation of the enemy. By the way, we're commanded to emulate Yeshua, as I said earlier. We're commanded to emulate Yeshua. Guess what? Because of the power of his Ruach Kodesh within us, his Holy Spirit within us, we can also deny the temptation of the enemy. It's possible. It is there. I know we like to take the lazy way out and say, oh, but I'm still human. I can't do that. I can't. But the Lord tells us we can because his spirit resides within us. And so he says, I've come to preach freedom and redemption. I've come to free the captive. I've come to set free those that are in bondage. I've come to do all of this. But in order for you to walk in this, you must first make teshuvah. You must first repent. And I use the word teshuvah intentionally because teshuvah is the Hebrew word for repentance. In English and especially the American culture of the body of Messiah, when we talk about repentance, we often think of it in the sense of, oh, I 
messed up. Okay, well, God forgive me. And we continue on about our way doing the same old thing over and over and over again. And every time we recognize, oh, we've done it again. Oh, psh, God, I messed up again. Forgive me. Okay, cool. And we go about it, doing it again over and over and over and over again. But this isn't repentance. Repentance is to turn from our wicked ways. The word teshuvah in Hebrew literally means to turn around. The concept is, is you're walking in the wrong direction. You recognize you're walking in the wrong direction. You stop dead in your tracks. You make a 180 degree turn and you walk back to the loving embrace of the Father, leaving the mistakes behind, leaving all of the mess behind. You want to talk about freedom? You want to talk about being set free from bondage? Leave your garbage behind. Leave it behind. When we repent, we need to repent wholeheartedly and entirely submit our lives and our will to the Lord. This is what God calls us to do. Yeshua then continues on his ministry and he goes on from then on proclaiming, turn away from your sins for the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn away from your sins for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I'm talking about this on Rosh Hashanah for this purpose. And First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it speaks about the call of the great shofar. It says, verse 16, For the Lord himself shall come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the blast of God's shofar. And the dead of Messiah shall rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left behind, will be caught up to get together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, I'm not trying to get into some eschatological discussions right now because, I, I, frankly, I'm not at all concerned with that. My general approach is, you know what? God's got it under control. He doesn't need me to understand every little detail of it. Uh, I do have opinions and theories. I just don't like to teach on them because we all have opinions and theories that are all based on the same passage of Scripture, and it just continues to perpetuate arguments that really are useless in terms of spreading the gospel. So that being said... What I want to talk about here is that Yeshua is telling us, uh, or, or Paul is telling us through the Spirit of, of God, uh, that there is this day coming in which there will be a shofar blast and God's people will be taken up. But he specifically says, those in Messiah. He says, those dead in Messiah will rise first. Then we who are alive, and it's not just we who are alive as though every other person walking on earth that's breathing breath is okay. It continues that same thought. We who are alive in Messiah. We are left behind. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. You know what is required for that to occur? For our names to be written in the book of life. And in order for us to be in Messiah, that means our names are in the book of life. And if your name's not in the book of life, you're not in Messiah. And if you're not in Messiah, when that great shofar blast occurs, you're going to be really disappointed. You're going to have a rude awakening. It's important that we understand the value of this shofar blast, to understand the value of why we celebrate Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, scripturally, the Feast of Trumpets, why this matters at all in terms of discussion, repentance, and in terms of the, the, the uh, reality of what lays ahead for us as Messiah's return uh, is, is soon approaching. In Leviticus 23, verse 23, speaking of uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah itself, it says, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, speak to B'nai Israel, saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you were to have a Shabbat rest, a memorial of blowing the shofar out, a holy convocation. You are to do no regular work, and you are to present the, an offering made by fire to Adonai. And we go on to Numbers 29, verse 1, where it again speaks of the, uh, reiterates the, the importance of Rosh Hashanah. It says, on the first day of the seventh month, you were to have a sacred assembly. You were to do no laborious work. It is for you a day for sounding the shofar. We are commanded to blow the shofar. I honestly believe it's a little 
deeper than that, a little further than that. I believe it has less to do with us blowing the shofar and more to do with us hearing the shofar blown. Because this is a rehearsal, it's a practice for what is to come. It is a practice for when that great shofar of the Lord blows. Listen, Israel stood at the base of Mount Sinai on Shavuot and they heard the heavenly shofar blast and the voice of the Lord come forth and they quaked with great fear. This is the people of God freshly out of Egypt preparing to go into the promises of the Lord. You don't get any greater of an image of what is coming in the days that lay ahead than the reality of Israel's journey from freedom uh, and slavery and bondage in Egypt into the wilderness to the, the, the base of Mount Sinai to hear the voice of the Lord and see the presence of God to the promises of God fulfilled as they crossed over into the reality of his promises. You can't get any greater of a, a visual from scripture of what is to come when Messiah's return approaches than that reality. And it's important for us to understand that Israel stood at the base of Mount Sinai and quaked in fear when they heard the shofar and the voice of the Lord. We can't afford to make that mistake again. Because Israel said, Lord, we can't hear your voice anymore. We want Moses to go get it because if we keep hearing you talk, we're going to die. As believers in Messiah, we don't have that luxury. Because as believers in Messiah, we have a greater reality. We're not standing at the base of some mountain that we can't touch. We're not standing at the base of a mountain where we're scared to death of all of the, the, the shenanigans that are going on around it, but instead, everything that happened on that mountain is now a part of who we are. As believers in Messiah, that same presence that sat on the mountain is now within us. That same voice that spoke from the mountain now speaks from within us. And that same shofar blast that occurred is coming. And when it does, we as followers of Messiah must recognize it and be alert to it. And the only way we can is to rehearse it year in and year out over and over and over again until that day comes so that we're not taken by surprise. It's important for us to understand that Messiah calls us to live a life of righteousness. And these 10 days of awe from Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is all about becoming Zarachim, becoming righteous ones. Stopping everything in our day-to-day lives and focusing on returning and making Teshuvah to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 50, uh, verse 51, sorry, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last shofar. For the shofar will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we will be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruptibility and this mortal must put on immortality. But when the corruptible will have put on incorruptibility and the mortal will have put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Everything we do here and now as followers of Messiah is those filled with the Ruach HaKodesh's rehearsal for what's to come. We are called to await incorruptibility and immortality. Incorruptibility is easily translated in terms of us trying to understand this is easily translated to we need to be sinless. We can't be sinless on our own. It's not possible. The only way we can is by the blood of the lamb. Even then, we're still going to mess things up. As long as we walk in this fallen nature, we're still going to mess things up, which means even as believers, it's that much more important that we continually turn our hearts back to the Lord that we continually live out this mindset of repentance and, and refocusing our attention on him and on his ways. 
that we stop getting so wrapped up in what's going on in the world around us, but we focus on what the Lord is trying to say. So you've got to understand these Moedim, these appointed days in Scripture. It's not just something random. The Lord thought, hey, let's give them something else to do because I didn't already do enough. Uh, you know, the whole kosher thing is not difficult enough. The whole Shabbat thing, that's not enough. The whole, you know, uh, wearing tassels with blue strings, that's not enough. The whole sacrifice thing, that's not enough. Let's throw more stuff in there, right? It's not at all what he did. Every single one of the Moedim are prophetic rehearsals of things to come. When Israel sacrificed the Passover lamb on the original Passover, on the original Pesach, it was a foreshadowing, a rehearsal of what would come as Messiah offered his life as a spotless lamb unbroken, who died for our sins, who willingly gave his life up for our sins so that we could in fact be restored. So that when repentance rolls around, the call for repentance rolls around, we can actually repent and actually be washed clean and actually be freed. Tomorrow we're going to go out to the Fairhope Pier and we're going to do Tashlich. Tashlich is an interacting with the, the, the word of God, the prophecy from uh, Micah that says that he will cast our, seas in, our sins in the depths of the sea. We get to interact with that in a, a literal sense and we get to, to, to have a picture before our eyes of what that looks like. And tomorrow morning on our Boca Rosh Hashanah service, I'm going to speak specifically to that reality. But it's important for us to recognize that this evening is the beginning of a time, if you haven't over the last 30 days of the month of Elul focused enough on repentance or at all on repentance. This is your chance. The Lord is giving you an opportunity here to refocus and realign your life with His, your will with His. See, repentance is always available. Forgiveness is always available. Salvation is there. It's ours. But we have to make the next step. He's already made the first step. We have to make the next step. If we want to see our name in the book of life, if we want to see our family's names in the book of life, if we want to see our friends' names in the book of life, if we want to see any and anybody and everybody we come into contact with, their names in the book of life, it begins with us individually making sure our names are in the book of life so that we then can be used by God to impact the lives of those around us, so that we then can be used by God to continue to spread the gospel, the good news, the besorah of Messiah's sacrifice, of his atonement, and of his forgiveness. Rosh Hashanah is a very awesome time because not only is it a time of remembrance, but it's a time of rejoicing. We remember what the Lord has done and what is coming, but we rejoice in the reality of what we have been given. We rejoice in the reality that we have, in fact, been freed, that we have, in fact, been offered salvation. We rejoice in the fact that the Lord's uh, words never come back void that he loves us and will continue to love us, that uh, whether it's speaking of the nation of Israel and the Jewish people or the body of Messiah who were bought by the blood of the Lamb, that his covenant is eternal. And that's something to rejoice in because you and I break our word all the time, whether it's to our friends, our family, ourselves, or even to the Lord. But the one thing we can always depend upon is that his word is never broken. And as believers in Messiah, we don't often like to talk about it enough. We definitely don't put enough value to it. But we walk into a covenant relationship with the Lord. Covenants are a lifelong reality. You can walk away from a contract. You can walk away from an arrangement. You can walk away from a friendship. But a covenant, that's something deeper. A covenant is something that you should never want to break. You should never want to walk away from. Do you have the ability? Sure. You shouldn't want to. 
should need to. The covenant is something greater. And as we sit here on Rosh Hashanah preparing for what comes 15 days later with Sukkot, which is this beautiful image of the wedding feast of the Lamb, this beautiful image of the chuppah as we stand under the sukkah, this beautiful image of us being drawn into the fulfillment of the marriage of the bridegroom to the bride. It's important for us to recognize the worth and the value and the reality of this covenant we have entered. And then we take that to the world around us because the words that Yeshua continued his ministry in after uh, reading from Isaiah 61 in his home synagogue after uh, saying this has been fulfilled for before your eyes was to then go out to the streets and say, repent now for the day the Lord is coming. And you and I, uncomfortably so in certain circumstances, are called to emulate Messiah. So it is your and my job to go out to the streets and continue that message. But we live in a world today where that is much more difficult to do if our lives are dark and dirty, if our lives are grimy. Because this world doesn't just buy into whatever they see right out the gate. And they'll see right through you and me if we're as bad and as despicable as they are. And they'll recognize that you're talking to them and at them, but you're not talking from the inside. We must turn our hearts to the Lord wholeheartedly, fully, and entirely submitted. We must repent in a way that we have never thought of before, on our faces before the Lord, day in and day out, because the days are short. There's not a lot of time left, in my opinion. But our calling still remains the same. And by the way, our calling isn't to argue and spend all of our time debating over eschatology. It's not a bad thing to do among like-minded believers and to try and figure things out. There's nothing wrong with that. But too many believers forsake the calling that's actually ours to try and do stuff that's not. We don't spend enough time preaching the gospel versus how much time we spend in trying to argue over things that don't matter. Because I know it's hard to believe, but the reality is, is we're all going to find out at the same time. However it's going to play out, we're all going to find out in the same time. But it's important that we uphold our end of the covenant, which is to make sure that our names are not the only ones in the Lamb's Book of Life, to make sure that we've done everything we can to see others' lives changed, hearts turned to Him, and that begins with us making that step of repentance. So I want to encourage you this evening, as you continue to, uh, to celebrate and observe Rosh Hashanah, and as we gather again tomorrow morning for our Boca Rosh Hashanah service, I want to encourage you to take this time to wholeheartedly dig into the presence of the Lord in repentance. Ask Him to reveal to you any of those things that you've tried to bury so deep that even you have forgotten about. Because that's when we come to find the true value and the true reality of His forgiveness is when we have handed everything over to Him. And then we can impact this world. Father, we worship you, we praise you, and we adore you. I ask you to breathe new life into each and every person hearing these words tonight. Lord, I ask you to uh, encourage us to willfully turn in repentance to you. Father, no matter how great we think we are as believers, there's always something. There's always somewhere that we have fallen short of the glory. There's always an opportunity for us to be restored in an even greater sense not for our sakes, but for yours, not for our purpose, but for yours, so that we may be used by you to impact the world around us for your kingdom. 
Lord, I pray that you breathe new life into us. On this Rosh Hashanah, when we traditionally uh, view the creation having begun, Father, remind us of the breath of life that is within us that comes from you and the necessity for us to return it to you in absolute praise, not marred with sin, not marred with deep, dark wounds, not marred with bondage, but turned entirely and wholeheartedly to you in freedom that is found only in the blood of Messiah Yeshua. Yeshua In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. Amen.